And now reading from the gospel according to Mark, I'll be reading from chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, and this from the Common English Bible. As Jesus left the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look what awesome stones and buildings. Jesus responded, Do you see these enormous buildings? Not even one stone will be left upon another. All will be demolished. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will all these things happen? What sign will show that all these things are about to come to an end? And Jesus said, Watch out so that no one deceives you. Many people will come in my name saying, I'm the one. They will deceive many people. When you hear of wars and reports of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must happen, but this isn't the end yet. Nations and kingdoms will fight against each other, and there will be earthquakes and famines in all sorts of places. These things are just the beginning of the sufferings associated with the end. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. When we woke up this morning, many of us stepped into a world filled with all sorts of expectations. It is an understatement to say that this global pandemic has certainly adjusted many of our expectations. But we're probably a lot more conscious of expectations that have been recently adjusted due to the pandemic than we are certain other expectations that have been adjusted we might not even realize are there. The air conditioning or the heat stayed on so we could awake to a comfortable room temperature at most of our homes. And if it was dark when we awoke, we reached for a light switch so the invisible dangers could be revealed before we stubbed our toe on it. Then we walked into the room with running water inside the house, and now you're even listening to my voice through either a microphone or a sound system or over the internet that you expected to work when you either turned your head toward the front of the sanctuary or picked up your computer or your smartphone or tablet. Outside of our country or outside of our neighborhood, there are problems and concerns that many of us cannot even begin to comprehend. Vaccines, for example, are not readily available there in most parts of the world. And there are other illnesses that can't be treated. There are people dying in need of food because they just can't find any. There is political and civil unrest that can go beyond an occasional Facebook squabble and which end with real people dying. Of course, we experienced a taste of this on January the 6th in this nation of ours, and we saw human life lost, and I hope we've learned something from that. A simple power outage in most parts of the world is a pretty good and uneventful day, and yet many of us see the discomfort and shock that I know I do when the power's out at my home or in times of natural disaster like hurricanes or weather pattern changes where wars have been waged since the beginning of recorded history. And some of us interpret all of these different inconveniences as, quote, 
the signs of the times. But the burning question the scripture we read this morning raises for us is, is this the end or the beginning? Is it the end of something old or is it the beginning of something new? These stories of the end times have been generated throughout all of history. There is always someone who will step up and say, God told them the next thing, you know, the next big act in our lives. Our text, which is chronologically situated toward the end of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Mark, after the bulk of his work in Galilee was complete, finds Jesus in Jerusalem, the home of the, quote, you know, devout or pure or true Jews, It was the home of the religious and the socially elite, the haves of society. The scenes that precede our text speak of Jesus' work, about his teaching, about his cleansing of the temple, and about some words that were misunderstood or purposely misinterpreted as a warning of the destruction of the temple. And so right before continuing on to the tragic scene of the capture, trial, and execution of Jesus, here is dropped this apocalyptic or last days sounding text. By definition, an apocalypse is an unveiling, a revealing, a vision that grants its recipient a glimpse beyond what's going on to what's really going on in the best sense of the apocalyptic tradition. It speaks of what God is doing and what God is really doing, or what God is doing and what God will do. And at first glance, our text looks like a warning of destruction. But is that really what's going on? As Jesus and his disciples left the temple, one of the disciples expressed a sense of awe at the magnificence of the building. Remember? He was captivated by the type of masonry available to those with wealth. He did not have that kind of masonry in Galilee, where he was from. We know how this can be. Following what the advertisements say are the measures of success. The certain cars, the flat screen TVs, the the big homes. Heck, being rich enough to take a private rocket ship to space. You know, signs of real success. In our text It's curious that right after his announcement of the destruction of the temple, Jesus is said to be on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, with the four disciples who are with him. I want you to notice Jesus wasn't in the temple, and I think this is a critical detail. Perhaps the author wants us to note that Jesus doesn't dwell inside corrupt systems and institutions out for self-promotion and self-gain. The disciples wanted to know when the destruction would take place, and actually, they wanted a heads up. They wanted an advance notice, if you will, of the last days, which included the destruction of the temple. They wanted a, a preview, if you will, of the grand finale. Now, often we encounter persons, and maybe ourselves, if we're honest about our level of nosiness, who want the inside scoop on things. We want to know in advance before anybody else knows. Now, why? Well, I suppose it's human nature. What's the benefit, though? 
Does an advance notice, does that kind of knowledge give some sort of power over others? Does it lead to some sense of ego inflation? We want to be the reporter of the news, not the receiver of the news, if we're honest. But often what we think we receive is not the real thing. We know what we heard or what we see, but is our interpretation accurate? These disciples have been traveling with Jesus. They didn't see him preparing any weapon of mass destruction to ignite some end of existence as we know it, which would include the destruction of the temple. Could it be that their thoughts were distorted by the prevalent voices of the powerful? Or were they blinded by the flashy trappings they were surrounded by in Jerusalem? Have they internalized the hype? You know, the spiritual, the social, uh, political elite, their hype. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been to a play that had a very elaborate set design and walked backstage? Did it match behind it what it looked like from out in front? I have. Most of the time I've been shocked what it looked like behind. It was so different than what it looked like out in front. I guess I'm naive. That sort of thing upsets me. I've thought to myself, it's a facade. It's pretend there's no real magical kingdom up here on the stage. And yet, Set design, a good set design, and a little smoke and mirrors can create an image of reality. It's a pretty cool thing, actually, when it's a play. It's not such a cool thing when it happens to us with real life. And those who create images and also act out the role of happiness when often the image is a facade that houses an empty shell. Even now, those of us who identify ourselves as children of God, as followers of the way of Jesus, we can be seduced into believing that the elite must have the answers. But we hear Jesus saying, beware that no one leads you astray. Beware of those who come and say they are speaking authoritatively about what they alone can fix or how they alone can handle it or how they alone have the wealth to see it through. And we're supposed to believe it because it's cloaked in a shiny little package that looks a lot like, you know, things we admire. Success, patriotism, prestige. And far too often... We fall for the hype of advertising. Someone else knows what will truly satisfy us. So we go into debt, or we go broke trying to get it, or we get depressed because we don't have the, the means to get it. And some of us have tried every diet in the book and we'll never be able to look like what's been promoted is beautiful no matter how much weight we might lose. Actually, no one looks like the images which inspire beauty these days because they're photoshopped almost all of them, digitally altered to fit with some sort of ideal look that we have accepted as a society as a substitute for true beauty. This is all not so unlike the folks during Jesus' day, and truthfully, there are many other areas in our own society where we focused on the ornate masonry of the temple, 
Oh, we not, may not be talking about a temple. We might be talking about other forms of beauty or measuring worth or success. And yet behind the scene, just like walking behind a, a really well-done set on a play at the stage, we see emptiness back there and, and pain and disappointment, a hollow void that is only thinly concealed by all of the smoke and mirrors. Listen to the message bearers of the end times when they come along, friends. And check the characters who are actually feeding you the storyline. It's the haves, not the have-nots, who like to talk to people about the end times. Have you noticed? People on the margins of society, those that the spiritually, politically, and socially elite have ignored, they're not looking for end times. They're looking for equality now and for justice and for peace now they're looking for dignity and self-respect right now. And, they, and we are looking for the good news of the gospel, the real gospel, as Marcus Borg would have suggested, God rest his soul, the subversive gospel of compassion that Jesus taught and espoused. Now that gospel intimidates those who want to maintain power. The elite of society are always outnumbered for the multitudes so for them, liberation, equality, human dignity, it's actually quite threatening. In his book, Liberating News, Orlando Costras suggests, when the multitudes are evangelized, everybody hears about it. The press, the government, the business community, the religious leadership, the army, the comfortable, and the secure individuals who usually stay aloof from the cry of the multitudes. Very often, such groups and institutions become irritated, threatened, joining forces as a sort of counter-multitude to try to quench the hope and aspirations that arise among the harassed multitudes when they hear the gospel and appropriate it by faith. You see, opposition to human dignity and equality happened in Jesus' day, and it happens every day around us. Enemies often become allies when it conveniently serves both of their best interests. And when the party line supports the maintenance of the status quo and lifestyle of the haves, it's unlikely that parties will suddenly find harmony around a cause because the distribution of power and wealth is an almost impossible task for some who are used to always having it. Sharing it, it doesn't come easily. So even to capture Jesus, a religious coalition formed comprised of those who could not fathom the liberation of those on the margins that Jesus spent all of his time with. They didn't want to share their social religious status for fear of diluting their own level of power or privilege. So friends, we must always watch the alliances that are forming around us. You want to know true signs of the times? Watch the alliances in any given society. Instead of the liberating good news of Jesus, many of our society have embraced the God of consumerism. Even some churches seem to be copies of the consumer society, and it's difficult to differentiate 
These churches from sophisticated social clubs or from cultural associations or businesses that offer a variety of religiously pleasing, hopefully oriented products and services. And so the poor, the outcast, the folks on the margins, the left out and the put out, they're ignored. But Jesus knew that scene was not the only reality. And he reminded the disciples not to believe those who come saying they know, that they know when the end is coming or that they know what's best for you, claiming to know, well, basically, what your Messiah would know. The main danger of this talk of end times is that it's a call to maintain the status quo or to hurry back to it to save the planet. It leads to isolated, individualistic, Survival mode. Shore up your own salvation. Hey, forget about community. Make sure you follow the rules. And by the way, here are the rules for you to follow. I've conveniently got them in a tract. I'll hand it to you. Now, in that mindset, when we hear or read news of a rise of homelessness, for example, or of babies being abused, or of immigrants at our borders being rounded up like cattle, or the plight of the poor among us, We've been relieved of the responsibility of the transformation of our communities because, hey, this whole world is going to go up in flames anyway. Why not get your own before it happens? So rather than a call for radical change in action, in this view, we see the news as evidence of why we need to ignore the destruction. We need to ignore the violence. We need to ignore the abuse or the racism or the pain or the classism. And so, hey, just close the doors. And when we come to church, let's just talk about happy stuff. Hey, and we'll just work on our own private salvation rather than staying engaged in the, con- in the healing of this land and the birthing of a better world for all. Jesus told the disciples, when you hear wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famine. But the text says at the end, listen, this is but the beginning of birth pangs. It's not the end. It's the beginning. And Jesus was saying this is not the end. It's not time to quit. It's not time to spring into action to save yourselves. It's not the end. It's the beginning of a new opportunity. It's the beginning of a chance to switch to an entirely different plot. Tragedies are a call to be transformed as we work for the transformation of the systems that keep folks down, that hold folks on the margins and keep them on the outside looking in. And Jesus' conversation about the destruction of the temple was symbolic of the systems and institutions that oppress and exclude. And he was talking about the end to the status quo and instead the beginning of the birthing of justice and human dignity and equality and freedom and the redefinition and redistribution of power and wealth. But can we see it? Can we perceive it. Do we have the eyes and ears to perceive this new thing God is doing and the courage to believe this is not the end? Instead, just like Jesus told the disciples, it's actually the beginning. 
of a fabulous opportunity to bring about a new reality, a new normal. So we best be ready to act and cooperate with a new thing God is doing. May God help us. Amen.